Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. It is brought to you this time by Squarespace. Liftoff's a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Jason. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Uh, happy birthday, I should say. Thank you. Right at the top. Thank you. Uh, Big birthday for me. Yes, we have a. But I, I took took some time out for liftoff. I appreciate that. You can go back yeah. to your birthday cake as soon as we're done. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but we have a very special episode today, don't we? Yeah, we do. Um, we're going to be talking to Katie Mack, who was already on. She was in episode fifty-one, talking about dark matter. But she's back. She has a book that Stephen and I have both read. That's very good. Called "The End of Everything." astrophysically speaking about all the different ways that the universe can end one of which is probably going to be the right one but we won't be around to, to see it Mm-mm. like literally like no one will be around to see it uh but uh katie is here uh to talk about that and i'm excited about it katie welcome back to lift off you've been talking about your book to everybody in the universe but uh, you know we yes. we had you we had you years ago so there i guess i don't know (laughs) (laughs) you i i was i was very excited to talk to you about this so i'm i'm very glad you're having me on and i'm excited to talk about um the end of everything because good why not it's fun (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that's what your book is all about i assume that that is why you wrote this book is that you and so many other people are kind of drawn to this idea of of uh, the lifespan of the universe and how it all comes to an end. It seems so infinite, and yet it it, it also is finite. Um, is that it, yeah yeah, wh- yeah? What drew you to this subject? Um, you know, I've I've been doing cosmology research for a number of years, and uh, the the you know you you really get excited about like the big questions, right? How did the universe begin? Uh, how is it changing over time? And the question of how it'll end is is just part of that story, you know. Um, and I think that uh, it's part of the story that's not told often enough. So there are a lot of books out there about the beginning of the universe. There really aren't very many about the end. And I thought that it would be a fun thing to explore and to you know catch up on what the current theories are and which direction this whole field is going and what we're learning uh, about the evolution of the cosmos and about how physics works and how that ties into different ideas about the end of the universe. And so I thought it would be fun because it's just a fun, sort of slightly scary topic, you know, the destruction of all things. And also because I knew that it would be a an excuse for me to bring up all of my favorite uh, ideas about cosmology and, and physics and the universe. I was going to say, it's, it is a vehicle in which um, the book, which people people should buy, I mean, Come on, people. Yeah. You should buy it. Of course, um, the yeah. The book is a vehicle for you to discuss all sorts of things. Like We talked to you about dark matter when you were here before. Like dark matter, dark energy, lots of interesting uh, black holes, hawking radiation. Like all of these mm-hmm. things are fun topics to talk about. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the, the end of the universe and the destruction of the universe is, it, in some ways, it's sort of like a helpful... Uh, you know, it's an excuse to talk about that stuff. That yeah, yeah. I think you know there are a lot of a lot of aspects of this question about the 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 future evolution of the universe that are much easier to discuss if you have some knowledge of you know how how the universe evolved in the beginning and 
what the sort of various cosmic scales mean and um, how we study the expansion of the cosmos and what dark matter is and what dark energy is and how black holes work. Like all of those are things that you kind of need some background on to understand the end of the universe. And so that was a chance for me to put all that background into the book and to uh, get into all those really, really fun, weird, mind-bending ideas. Um, so it it kind of very naturally fit together as, yeah, as, as, you know, the end of the universe is kind of the hook and then all sorts of weird things about the universe uh, are are kind of packed into it. Yeah, I was glad that you included so much in the book about the the early moments of the universe because throughout the book you you draw on that knowledge that you've given the reader of you know this is how it was in the beginning it could have these ramifications mm -hmm. in the end so I thought that was a helpful way to go about it because I've read a lot about the beginning of the universe but it's also been a little while and so to have sure yeah a, a refresher. So going into this conversation, which you keep calling fun, I don't know if we have the same definition of, of fun, but we'll just we'll just let that go. Um, I thought mm -hmm. that was uh, that was helpful, and one thing I was really I really noticed in reading the book, and and I love your writing, and one reason I do is because you you. you work humor and jokes about mm -hmm. not only the topic, but you also sort of poke fun at the field you work in and other scientific fields. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how do you approach using humor in a book that on the surface of it could be pretty dark? Um, I think that it's my natural response to like existential terror. Honestly, <laughs> I think that, I think that I just, uh, you have to, you have to laugh about it because, because it's, it's a kind of big, scary topic where, you know, it is real, like, you know, as far as we know, this stuff will happen. The universe is evolving and it will come to an end one way or another. Um, so it's real and it's big and it's more powerful than us and it's scary, but it's also really far removed from us. You know, it's nothing to do with our daily life. It's not going to affect the the progress of our own personal existence. Nobody we love is going to be affected by this almost certainly. And so it's... Um, you know, so it's it's both super scary and and daunting and also totally, you know, abstract and unimportant in some way. And so, so you know, I kind of a, a approach it the same way I approach, you know, being on a roller coaster and it's it's scary, but you know you're going to be fine. Um, or, uh, you know, a horror movie where, you know, something happens and everybody kind of laughs nervously like that's that is sort of the same kind of feeling for me about the end of the universe. And then in ju just in general, there's a lot of, there's a lot of funny stuff about uh, spending, spending your life studying these esoteric ideas about the cosmos. And so I think that it's kind of natural to laugh at yourself in that context. Yeah. I wonder about, um, while I was reading the book, I was thinking about like, is this, do we, do we get fascinated with these big ideas of the life of death of the universe? Because it's a, it's reassuring. It's sort of like everything ends, you know, mm -hmm. our lives end, but the, the universe has its own life, which ends ult ultimately. Mm -hmm. I, I can't decide if it's that or, or if it's more like a, a distraction, but, but either way, I think, it, I think it's kind of tied, tied in the idea that this is so far off, like the scale is so giant that it's almost yeah. reassuring that like the universe will end, but it's like saying the sun mm -hmm. will burn out, but it will be yeah. so long until that happens that you really don't have to worry about 
about it, uh, it does yeah. feel almost like a, a relief, unless uh, you know, it, unless there's a vacuum uh, decay bubble, in which case, right? Yeah, then it's then it's a totally different story. Mm. But you won't notice, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I I did in in the book was, um, you know, I put this epilogue at the end where I'd I'd gone around and I'd asked a bunch of my colleagues, you know, how does how does the end of the universe make you feel? And um, and some of the responses I got were really interesting because for some people it is kind of reassuring the idea that, that the universe doesn't last forever and that no matter how much we screw up here, you know, the, our, our power to mess up the cosmos is very limited. <laughs> and so, um, you know, the universe will be fine uh, it'll, and then it'll die and then, you know, our, our mistakes will be forgotten. And there's something... There's something a little bit reassuring about that, that, you know, however bad things get, like, in the end, it's not going to matter. And then there's also something, of course, terrifying about that, that, that in the end, we will not matter. So it's a, it's a balancing act, right? But but different people kind of have different um, emotional responses to that. I think there's also, I mean, I, I know that scientists and probably cosmologists, as much as anyone, are also drawn to these kind of great areas of, of unknown where our knowledge uh, mm -hmm. fails us. And I mean... It, it, reading your book reminded me again that like the beginning, even though the Big Bang is a thing that we all know and understand, you you say in your book, well, you know, to the, to a point beyond mm -hmm. which we don't. And then the end of the yeah. universe, you've got a whole list, which we'll get to of mm -hmm. all the ways it could end. We don't really know the the final story. So, you know, when you talk about the, yeah. the bookends of the universe, um, you're, you're talking about unknowns. We, we know a lot about this kind of time frame in you know we're in back to the big bang but beyond that it's it's a huge mystery of where did this universe come from and where does it go where is it going we don't know yeah yeah i mean we we have we have an, an amazing amount of knowledge you know we have a pretty solid story from about a nanosecond onward from you know about somewhere around a nanosecond after the beginning of the universe whatever that was we are really sure we know what happened but you know the very 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 beginning is is still a big and very important mystery and what's going to happen in our future there's just there are a lot of possibilities for that and we can make extrapolations but we can't be really sure and and one of the things i did try and put into the book is the fact that if we really understood the beginning then that would be an important clue toward the end and so these two uh subjects are are very closely linked in terms of our understanding of the big picture of how our universe fits into whatever else is out there. So so you lay out several possibilities in the book of the way the universe can end. Everything from mm -hmm. the big crunch to vacuum decay which we mentioned a minute ago heat death. Do you have a favorite way to go? I do, yeah. <laughs> um I'm I'm very fond of of vacuum decay as as a a way to destroy the universe um because it is it is the weirdest and most out of left field kind of possibility and because as a physicist it's a very interesting uh kind of it's an interesting scenario where the structure of particle physics can have an impact on the entire cosmos in, in, a, in a kind of interesting way. So you need to explain uh, to, to the listeners a little bit, the, the shorthand version of, of vacuum decay, because it is yeah. it is super creepy, right? And unnerving. It's mm -hmm. reassuring in a sense, but also extremely unnerving. 
Yeah, so it all comes down to the Higgs field. So, you know, probably everybody's heard of the Higgs boson. Um, this is a particle that was detected at the Large Hadron Collider in 2012. It's uh, It was the final piece of the standard model of particle physics, uh, something that, that really solidified our our current model of how particle physics works. And the Higgs field, the Higgs particle, um, the Higgs boson is is associated with something called the Higgs field. And the Higgs field is this energy field that pervades all of space. And um, there's there's this complicated story about particles that interact with the Higgs field have mass and particles that don't don't have mass. And there's this whole uh, thing about how there's a there's a connection between the Higgs field and particles having mass or or getting mass in the early universe. So the idea is that the Higgs field is this energy field through space, and there's a sort of value associated with this this Higgs field, and that value was different in the very early universe, and then it changed, and when it changed, that set up the rules for physics as we have it today. So when the Higgs field had a different value. There was a different mix of particles. The particles had different properties. Uh, the rules of physics were different. The laws of nature were different. The constants of nature were different. And then there was this transition, the um, this Higgs mechanism, this transition where the Higgs field took on a different value. And now we have, you know, protons and electrons and quarks and all these things, and everything fits together. And we can have atoms and molecules because the particles. You know, the appropriate particles have masses and they can interact with each other in, in helpful ways and, you know, everything's fine. Um, and the thing about vacuum decay is the the possibility of vacuum decay comes out of the possibility that the Higgs field might change values again. And the way that could happen is basically you can think of the Higgs field as being like a ball sitting in a valley and so it's sort of settled to the bottom of this valley. And that would be fine if the bottom of the valley is really the bottom of the valley. But um, you can, but it's possible that the that it's not actually settled in the bottom of valley. It's actually in a sort of little divot on the edge of a valley, right? So you're, we're, we're kind, of, kind of mixing some metaphors here, but bear with me. Um, so if it's, if it's sort of in this little divot on the edge of the valley, that means that it could roll over the barrier and end up in the real bottom of the valley. And that would be the Higgs field having a different value and the laws of physics being different and everything's a disaster. Um, and uh, that would that would represent the idea that that our our state of physics, our state of the universe is a is what we call a false vacuum. So the vacuum state is the set of the set of rules of physics. So if we live in the false vacuum and the bottom of the real the real bottom of the valley is the true vacuum, then there's a possibility that something could knock the Higgs field out of our little divot and into the true vacuum valley, and that would break physics entirely. Um, and the way that would look is somewhere in the universe, wherever this this event happened that that kicked the Higgs field over, that made the Higgs field change value, it would create a bubble of this true vacuum, this different kind of space where the, the laws of physics are different. And that bubble would expand out at, at about the speed of light and just destroy everything. The The way it would destroy everything is first the, the bubble wall would hit you and that would incinerate you and then you would be inside the bubble and you'd be in a kind, in a kind of space where particle physics doesn't work anymore and so your f particles would fall apart. And then also the interior of the bubble 
uh, would be gravitationally unstable. And so you would then subsequently like collapse into a black hole. So you really don't want this to happen, right? Seems bad. Yeah, yeah, it's real bad. Uh, so you really don't want the Higgs field to change value. We don't want to be living in a little divot on the edge of a valley. We want to be at the bottom of a valley, right? We want to be such that like there's no other value that the Higgs field could take. But it looks like we might actually be living in this little divot. And then the question is, what is it that could kick the, the ball over the edge, right? What could make us roll down to the to the true bottom of the valley? And there are a couple of possibilities, and one of them is, you know, sort of a, a sufficiently high energy event somewhere in the universe that would kind of kick it, kick the ball over the edge and and disturb the Higgs field enough that it would change value and we'd end up in the bottom of that valley. And, uh, you know, it would happen in one place in the universe and then kind of drag all of the surrounding uh, Higgs field down with it. And so that would make that, that expanding bubble. Um, <clears throat> but fortunately, we're pretty sure that that can't happen. That the, the the kinds of events that it would take to to kick the Higgs field over are just not not really plausible in the in the universe we live in. Certainly, not something that we could do, and and not something that's been done by all of the highest energy events ever in the history of the cosmos. So that seems like it should be fine. But it turns out that the universe is fundamentally quantum mechanical, which means that that little little barrier at the edge of the divot that, that keeps us from rolling down into the valley floor um, is is not really as solid as it would be in a universe that's not quantum mechanical. So you might have heard of quantum tunneling. That's this idea that if you put a particle on one side of a barrier, it might, it might just end up on the other side, right. just kind of at random. Like this is a thing that happens with electrons and and uh, barriers in in like microelectronics, you try and keep all your electrons on one side of a wall, and every once in a while they show up on the other side, and you have to you have to sort of build for that um, in electronics. And sometimes that's even a useful property. We use it for things like uh, certain kinds of microscopes. Uh, scanning tunneling electron microscopes are built on the idea that sometimes particles just show up where they shouldn't randomly through quantum tunneling. And the reason you can you can build for that is because you can get an estimate of how long it might take before one of these particles tunnels. But because it's a quantum mechanical event, because it's fundamentally unpredictable, you don't know exactly when it's going to happen. You just have a rate, right? And so if you're sitting there watching a particle on one side of a barrier, or not necessarily watching, but you've got the particle on one side of the barrier, you don't know when or if it will end up on the other side. You just know that there's some probability that within a certain amount of time, that'll happen. And so it turns out that can happen to the Higgs field too. And so every point in space, there's there's some Higgs field. And at every point in space, there's a possibility that the Higgs field could tunnel to that other vacuum state, that sort of tunnel through that barrier, that little divot, and end up in the bottom of the valley. And so we are in this universe that is just fundamentally unstable to these random quantum transitions. And we don't know where or when or if one of those transitions will happen somewhere in the universe. We just know that there's, we can calculate some time scale that we expect, uh, that we expect for this to happen. And fortunately, that time scale is really long. When we do the calculations, the idea, the possibility that vacuum decay will happen somewhere in our observable universe. We think that it'll probably be on average like 10 to the power of 100 years before that happens in our observable universe. So that's good, right? Um, 
But technically, it could happen at any time. Like, we can't we can't really rule that out. We can just say that it's extraordinarily unlikely. Um, and so it's 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 a fascinating topic because I just like the idea that it's possible that our our universe is just like a little bit defective, and you know it's, <laughs> it wasn't quite built right. And there's there's this this you know weakness, this vulnerability. Um, you know, there's that that little that little uh you know intake vent on the death star or whatever like that's it could just just it could destroy the whole thing and there's nothing we could do about it we're just sitting here hoping it doesn't happen right in the book you go through sort of like you know okay this is terrifying but you know the case case against is it hasn't happened yet and the universe mm-hmm. has been around a while but the case yeah. for is uh, essentially there's a lot of time left <laughs> yeah yeah like you know we could have just gotten lucky it's it's funny i mean uh the the calculations that say it'll probably be a really long time from now um are complicated calculations we don't know for sure you know how much to to believe those calculations but we we can be i think we can be reasonably confident that it's not likely to happen soon um and also we don't know for sure if it even can happen because there are there are reasons not to trust the models that say that we are in a false vacuum that that you know that this is even a possibility just because we know the particle physics is incomplete um and so i i went around talking to a bunch of people about this this model and i talked to some string theorists and you know i kind of expected them to be like oh yeah we don't think vacuum decay can happen you know we're trying to figure it out but like probably not a big deal and one of them was like we might have just been lucky so far <laughs> <You know? laughs> and i'm like dude it's not reassuring at all. So I don't know. I, I the the thing that I find wonderful and fascinating about this possibility, though, is that it's it's really connecting those scales so much. You know, it's it's connecting the results of experiments in um, in particle physics where we're measuring the mass of the Higgs boson to learn something about the Higgs field, and then we we follow some chain of logic, and it tells us that the universe is fundamentally unstable and could go any time to this giant bubble of death and you're just like wait 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 step yeah. back <laughs> can we can we go back a few steps and stop somewhere now fa- failing the death by vacuum decay i mean you did mm-hmm. you do list a whole bunch of others the one that you know when i was a kid there was always this question of like well oh the the big bang began and then eventually it will slow and then it will it, and it will come back together in a big crunch mm-hmm. which based mm-hmm. on our knowledge now of the expanding and accelerating universe seems like the least likely scenario yeah, yeah, I think so. In terms of in terms of just the future evolution of the cosmos, it seems very, very unlikely that the expansion would stop and reverse at this point. Um, so, you know, we've known for a long time since like the 1920s that the universe is expanding, that distant galaxies are getting farther away from us and farther away from each other. And uh, we also know that the gravity of everything in the universe should be slowing that process down just kind of creating drag, you know, like pulling, trying to pull things back together. And so there's this balance between the force of the the initial Big Bang that started off the expansion and then the the drag of, of uh, the galaxies pulling back with, um, with gravity. And so there was a question for a long time, which one of those would win out? And, you know, in, in the 1960s and, and 70s, like people thought, oh, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll recollapse, you know, maybe the, the drag, the gravity will win and the expansion will stop and then everything will come together. And then in the 1990s, there was an attempt to measure that by measuring the deceleration parameter, uh, measuring how quickly the, uh, the universe was slowing down in its expansion, but from this, this gravitational pull. 
And they found that that number was negative, which meant that the universe is actually speeding up. And the expansion is getting faster and faster all the time. It's been speeding up for the last five billion years or so. Uh, and we don't, we still don't know why. Uh, Whatever is making the expansion speed up, we call it dark energy, but we don't really know what that is. But what it implies is that uh, the recollapse is just not going to happen, that the, the universe is, is going faster and faster and faster to expand. And so we think it's very unlikely that, that it'll come back together in a big crunch, which, which is good because the big crunch is a terrifying prospect. Yeah. Yeah. You go through it in the book in detail, which was fun because, again, it's one of those things that like, well, what would that even look like? And you say, it's bad, right? Like it's, it looks real, real bad. But now yeah. the endlessly expanding universe, though, you end up with these sort of two ideas. One is, one is the one that I, honestly I think is the one that I, I saw in like Marvel Comics when I was a teenager, which mm. is, which is the heat death idea, which is just like yeah. everything gets, you know, everything eventually all the stars die and, and we know now mm. like all the black holes evaporate and you end up with sort of just a whole lot of of nothing yeah um, everything is everything is what is it is it ultimate entropy or ultimate it, it's just like it there's maximum nothing entropy yeah there's nothing time can't happen nothing is there everything is spread out and it's just kind of done uh, which is not very exciting um unfortunately there's there's the big rip which is sort mm -hmm. of the new idea which is oh no space itself <laughs> gets torn apart and that's the end great yeah the, the the so the difference between a heat death universe and a big rip universe is that in a heat death the the dark energy is something we call a cosmological constant so it's this it's it's just a property of space where space has this kind of expansive expan expansion built into it you know, and and that means that um, the empty spaces will get bigger, but galaxies will stay galaxies. They'll just be moved farther apart from each other. But if dark energy is something sort of more powerful and weirder that we call phantom dark energy, then it doesn't just move galaxies away from each other. It actually starts to unravel bound structures. It unravels galaxies and galaxy clusters and and stellar systems and all of that, and uh, just builds up like the stretchiness of space increases and increases and increases and builds up within things and that's a that's a sort of fun and 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 yet super violent process because what it would mean is that everywhere everything in space would be kind of expanded from the inside and so you you really can't hide from that <laughs> so first like first it would come for the biggest objects you know the 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 galaxy clusters and the galaxies and it would kind of pull galaxies away from each other then pull stars away from their galaxies and then it would start to unravel solar systems you know take the planets away from the stars and then it really accelerates and pulls apart planets and stars themselves and then atoms you know rips apart like matter itself and then just destroys space basically and that's the process called the big rip. The end. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, I think the heat death is the one that's easiest to wrap my mind around, but it also seems kind of the most lonely in a way. You know, Yeah. with the big crunch, we're all really close together again. Yeah. Yeah, true. And the, the heat death is super lonely and that the loneliness starts early, like... In the next hundred billion years or so, it, we're gonna the the expansion will be so great that we won't be able to see galaxies outside of our little local group of galaxies. So all those amazing 
you know, Hubble images of these distant galaxies with the spiral arms and the the interacting galaxies and the, you know the sombrero galaxy, all these really cool things. We won't be able to see them anymore because they'll be so far away and moving away from us so quickly that that um, we won't be able to get that those images. So it kind of you know the heat death gets depressing real fast because um, mm-hmm. it, even even within a hundred billion years we're we're all alone in the cosmos. And then there's that vast amount of time at the very end where there's sort of nothing left but black holes very 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 slowly evaporating yep yep it's boring it's boring and bad (laughs) yeah it's bad yeah and and that was that was one of the things that when i when i was asking my colleagues about how they felt about the end of the universe a lot of people said that the heat death just sounds super depressing and like we've got to have something better happen to us because that's just too sad gotta go out with a bang yeah or a rip or, or a right. bubble of death, something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this episode of Liftoff is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. It lets you easily create a website for your next idea, complete with a unique domain name, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store or host a portfolio or write a blog or publish a podcast. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do all of those things. The best part is you don't have to worry about becoming a server admin. There's nothing to install. There are no patches to worry about. No upgrades are needed. Squarespace has it covered so you don't have to worry about it. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. Let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And of course, those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. What I love about Squarespace is you can go as deep as you want. You can pick a theme and customize it really easily. You can write your own CSS to override things, or you can even go into developer mode and really get under the hood. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com liftoff. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code liftoff to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name and to show you support for the show. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash liftoff and the code liftoff to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of the show and Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. I wanted to give you a shout out for your science fiction references in the book. You've got Thank chapters you. that begin with quotes from books that I really like. Connie Willis's Doomsday Book, Fifth Season by N.K. Jemison and Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie. Mm-hmm. I was curious, sort of, what is what does your reading list look like? What would you have, you know, do you have a big mix of books? Are you reading, you know, really heady scientific literature and also things with spaceships? And what else do you have mixed in there? You know, so so my dirty little secret is that I basically don't read nonfiction. Interesting. Um, I uh, every once in a while I I do because I I need to for one reason or another. But um, but when I read for pleasure, it's almost always uh, fiction and and almost always science fiction and and even more specifically something involving spaceships. So I uh, I I take my my sort of recreational reading very seriously as like it has to be escapism and if there's a spaceship involved then it's probably sufficiently escapist um but uh, i i do a lot of reading nonfiction online you know articles and, and things like that and and of course i read a ton of scientific papers but when i just need to relax and uh you know wind down um escaping into a totally fictional futuristic world 
uh, sounds awesome to me. And so I, I usually do, um, I usually read, read sci-fi. All right. That's good. You, people can hear Katie talk about science fiction and spaceships and stuff every now and then on The Incomparable. Just throwing that out yeah. there, a little, little plug for the for the not the day job. Um, <laughs> uh, the other thing that I wanted to ask about is, um, it, so something that you do that I thought was really good in this book is, is um, simplify some concepts so that people can understand them. You're writing for a broad audience. You need to do that. And mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about how you approach simplification. And the reason I want to ask is because there's a moment in this book that made me smile so much because mm-hmm. I've read a zillion popular science books and mm-hmm. I have never been satisfied with, for example, the explanation of virtual particle annihilation and hawking right. radiation. And there's a right. mo- and you mentioned this in the book and I'm like, oh, here we are again. And then mm-hmm. you say, okay, this is a simplification and everybody uses it and Stephen Hawking even never meant for people to actually take it literally there is a real explanation <laughs> yeah. it requires two or three semesters of study so just <laughs> trust me that it makes sense even though this isn't a very good analogy and I love that moment because it's you putting you know putting a little marker down and saying does this not make sense to you it's because it's not right but it's it's <laughs> it's the closest you're gonna get unless you take a a, a year and a half of advanced mm. physics so just go with it i it just so how do you approach stuff like that where you because i do this with it with tech stuff too i mean any of us Stephen and i work in in tech media and it's a similar thing which is like boy this is really complicated i don't want to you know like it's too much i need to simplify mm-hmm. it but if i simplify it too much it's wrong one thing that that highlights for me how important it is to make clear when you're making a, a simplification that isn't you know strictly accurate is that I get a lot of messages from people uh, with questions or with their own kind of theories about the universe. And I, as a rule, I don't read the theories about the universe emails I get because <laughs> they're not something I should be spending my time on. But um, but a lot of times when I get these messages, somebody will say, okay, so I read about black holes and it said that this happens with black holes and therefore uh, I, I also thought about this other thing and and I read this other book that said that this happens with space time and like what if these are connected because logically this all fits together and they build up this huge uh story and it turns out it's all based on the fact that they took literally a, a metaphor that was never meant to be taken literally and and then they just followed the logical flow of that and they ended up you know painted into this corner and then they thought they they discovered something amazing and I, and I, I, I feel like that's a real hazard that we have as, as science communicators when we simplify or use analogies or metaphors without making it really, really clear where those are no longer valid. You know, we, we, we risk misleading people into a really, a really wrong understanding of how the universe works. And, so when I when I use analogies or when I use a simplification, I try to I try to really clearly denote this is this is as far as this works, and here's where it doesn't work anymore. And so you can use this to get a general picture, a vague idea, but don't take it seriously as mathematically correct. And you know, understand that there is something subtler and. Uh, and more complicated going on that I, I can't get into because it's fundamentally a mathematical concept and I can't teach you quantum field theory right now. 
but but that explanation does exist and and the reason I want to do that is because I do want to give people a picture in their head that they can that they can work with that that might be I mean sometimes it's really close to accurate you know um, I have an analogy in in the book about the expansion of the universe as um, as uh, exemplified by throwing a ball up into the air and you know depending on how fast you throw it uh, it might stop and come back or it might you know sort of continue off into orbit or not orbit but you know reach escape velocity and uh, that's a pretty decent analogy for different uh, fates of the universe in a uni- in a universe that just has matter and the initial push of of the the big bang uh, so those kinds of analogies are fine and I, I try and say like look that's a that's pretty close that's more or less the picture that you need but with something like the Hawking radiation problem you know the I, I cannot give a super close analogy. Uh, I can give an analogy that gives you some kind of vague idea that something weird is happening at the at the event horizon. It has something to do with virtual particles. I can't really explain exactly what virtual particles are, but I don't want people to think, oh, there's there's this particle and this particle and this one falls in, the other one gets away, and this is how it works because that's that's just not a great uh, explanation. And so it's really um, it's really it's a it's a challenge, but it's it's a fun challenge to come up with analogies or simplifications that that give an impression that is useful but um but then also really really strongly flag up like here's where you should stop believing that <laughs> um and uh and I, I i hope that i strike a good balance there that that is always what i'm trying to do yeah that's a tough one and and i, yeah. I don't know why the virtual particles always bothered me but it was like mm, I, this, well because like... it's a bad explanation <laughs> i mean it's not it's not i don't want to say it's bad you know i mean you know, it was good enough for Hawking, but but it's uh, but it's not. You know, it it doesn't logically make sense if you if you really really think about no, it, and that's it's that's more, why. Yeah, it's it, like yeah. let me tell you a story. Okay, this is kind of like that. Like the the but that's like that's as far as it goes. And I think I I really appreciate it that you that you do flag those things down and say this is not quite right, but it's really complicated. <laughs> yeah, and and the, and that's a, I guess another reason I I like to make sure I flag that stuff is is that. I want people to know that that this field actually is a rigorous mathematical field and and there is a lot of work done in the background that you might not see but it's important and that and that foundation is important and if you don't have that foundation if you haven't done the study you know you're probably not going to intuit the ultimate answers to these right. questions but but uh, just know that that's out there that we are rigorously thinking about this stuff that there is there is some logic behind it all. We're not just making this up. Right. So that guy who uh, put the, the thing on the telephone pole down the street probably would need a little more math before his ideas could be panning out. Okay, fair right. enough. I think yeah. that's probably right. <laughs> uh, so looking forward a little bit, what future instruments do you hope will help sort out dark matter and dark energy? You touched on this in the book a little bit, but I know there's been developments since then. What are you looking forward to? Um, I mean, there, there's one of the big things that's that's coming up is there are going to be a bunch more like galaxy surveys and um, and observational programs to study many, many more galaxies and supernovae out there in the universe that'll help us map out all the matter in the universe and how it's moving, you know, like how the universe is expanding, how the the matter in the universe built up. Um, and that'll give us a much better picture of the history of of the universe, which tells us a lot about uh, dark matter and dark energy. Uh, it tells about it tells us about dark matter through 
allowing us to see the the buildup of structure that is that is mostly dark matter, mostly this invisible matter. Um, and then it also tells us something about the expansion history, which tells us about dark energy, which is currently dominating the expansion of the universe. So by just studying more objects out there, uh, we're going to get a better picture of the history of the universe, which we can then use to extrapolate into the future, and also a better picture of the components of the universe. So one of the big surveys coming up is a survey called LSST being done by the Vera Rubin Observatory. And that's going to find like a billion, like billions of galaxies and millions of supernovae. So it's going to be just massively useful for helping us to study the structure of the cosmos. And, and all of us are really excited about that. And then there are these huge advances in understanding black holes, which, uh, which are, you know, are going to give us more insights into space time itself and gravity. So we're, we're studying, we're getting gravitational waves from, um, the LIGO uh, experiment, Virgo, all these gravitational wave detectors, and there are, are new projects to find gravitational waves uh, from from studying pulsars very carefully and the timing of pulsars and how that's messed up by gravitational waves passing through the space in between. Uh, so we're going to learn about the collisions of black holes in other galaxies and how gravity works, and that's going to be very cool. We're getting images of black holes now, the Event Horizon Telescope. Uh, showed us um, the, an image of of the event horizon of a black hole uh, around uh, uh, in the galaxy M87. So that's that's really cool, and we're learning about gravity from that. And then there's also particle experiments like the Large Hadron Collider, and and that's going to be updated, and we're going to get new colliders that'll tell us new things about um, about how particle physics works, which might tell us something about vacuum decay and things like that. So. There's really a, a ton of cool stuff, and I could go on, but um, but those are some of the most exciting things. Are you going to get anything out of the, the – we do have – theoretically, there's a next generation of space telescopes coming, James Webb, and then the uh, Nancy Grace Roman yes. space telescope behind it. Are they going to pitch in in some areas that you're interested in? Yeah, absolutely. So the um, James Webb and NC Roman telescope, those are both going to be looking at some of the earliest galaxies in the universe, uh, so very, very distant galaxies. So we're going to learn about how the first galaxies formed and um, about a, a time period called uh, reionization when the universe was uh, being lit up by stars and galaxies kind of for the first time. And, and um, that, that light was ionizing all the gas in the universe. And that's, um, that's why it's called reionization. Re, because it was the, all that gas was ionized in the very beginning when the whole universe was sure. basically a fireball as well. It's like a refried beans. It's, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so that's going to be very exciting because we'll learn about yeah the, how the first stars and galaxies worked, which is um, which is very important for for understanding that. But also because if something weird was going on, like if dark matter was was annihilating and putting a bunch of energy out into the universe, or if there was a some kind of early dark energy period or something like that, we might be able to see the signatures of that when we look at um, at these very very early galaxies. That's great. That's good. Uh, more to come. More, I mean, I, Stephen yeah. and I talk about a lot that that when we started this podcast, um, 
you know, LIGO and Virgo hadn't come on the scene. And it's been one of those cases where there's an entirely new field of astronomy that has come around yeah. in just the last five years, basically. It's it, that lets yeah. us see things we would never have been able to see before. Yeah, I mean, it's a new window on the universe, right? Every time that happens, we find cool things. <laughs> so uh, this is a fundamentally new way of looking at, at the cosmos through through feeling its vibration rather than seeing light passing through it. I mean, that's that's wild. I love that. Well, Katie, thank you so much for joining us this week. It was a lot of fun reading your book and a lot of fun talking to you about it. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's, it's always fun to talk to you guys. And um, I'm always very happy to, to be on podcasts in the Incomparable Network. So thank you for having me. And uh, let me know if you want me to talk about spaceships sometime. I'm always up for that. <laughs> I will. I will do that. And uh, and uh, maybe we'll have you we'll have you back here sometime to talk about some other sure. wacky thing that will be at the end of the universe. <laughs> there's there's no end of them. So, Jason, I think that about does it. That that does it. That was a great conversation. I'm glad we had it. I, I also before we go, I want to point out to liftoff listeners that if you listen to this week's episode of 20 max for 2020 my other podcast on relay where i talk about old computers i'm just saying there's a liftoff segment inside it this week mm -hmm. about the mac portable so <laughs> right inside if you want to hear <laughs> if you want to hear about the mac portable on the space shuttle uh just go listen to that and there's a little mini liftoff inside yep. it like literally a mini liftoff is inside that podcast yeah, it's i love the way you put that together i really chuckled when i heard it the first time if you want to find links to Katie's book, her website, you can find her on Twitter. All that stuff is in our show notes at relay.fm slash liftoff slash 134. While you're there, you can become a member to support the show directly. You can send us an email with feedback or follow-up, or you can find us on Twitter. Jason is there as jsnell, and you can find me on Twitter as ismh. Until our next fortnight, Jason, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, y'all. <laughs>